I do get a little crazy, nervous, anxious, excited. I sometimes play the reverse psychology pessimistic game as a sports fan, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. It's so different from what I do for a living, which is a world of neutrality, where you don't just try your best to be neutral calling a game. You actually learn over time to have zero emotional attachment to the outcome. Viewers don't always believe that, but I promise you, it's, it's the same checklist every time. You want a close competitive game, you want some nice plays to call for the viewers to enjoy, and you want no serious injuries from the players. That's the same every time. And I love my job, but there's something about stepping away from neutrality and just being a fan and being heavily emotionally invested. For me, there's just a few things. At the top of the list is Colorado Avalanche hockey, Chelsea soccer, and of course, the U.S. national men's and women's soccer team when it comes to big international competitions like the World Cup. So I record this the morning after the U.S. has been eliminated in the round of 16 by the Netherlands. I'm a little deflated. It did happen during CFB Championship Saturday when I was about to go on the air. So the disappointment was buffered. A day later, I can process it. It's a semi-qualified success, this World Cup in Qatar for the U.S. They lost to a superior team, but the way they lost, poor defending, lapses in marking, was a little bit of a bummer, which is why I am so excited to say that I've got Alexi Lalas as my guest. Now, before I worked with Alexi covering the 2010 World Cup in South Africa and before he went on to success with Fox, Yes, Alexi was a great, proud, tough, passionate player for the U.S. national team. A central defender who would score some strategic goals, usually with his head off that wild mane of red hair for which he became globally known. So Alexi was good enough to, to come on board, share some old stories, evaluate the U.S. performance, and at the end we look ahead to the next World Cup of course, which the U.S. will co-host with Canada and Mexico four years from now. He did this just before going on the set for Vox to set up the next round of games. So it's the shortest ever episode of this podcast, but it's jam-packed with good info, good stories, and great to connect with my old buddy, Alexi Lalas. Part of this podcast, by the way, was hijacked by his colleague, my former colleague, and my buddy, Rob Stone. You'll get it when it happens. But in the meantime, uh, storytelling and analysis with Alexi Lalas from Qatar. Alexi, I am grateful for your time. Every minute of it in Qatar is accounted for. So it's great to see your, your smiling face in the afternoon there, morning here. We'll tell some stories. We'll, we'll wind the clock back. But I want to start with what is top of mind for U.S. soccer fans, and that's your reaction to the World Cup round of 16 you know, getting out of the group, but falling to the Netherlands. I want to ask you as an analyst, but first I want to ask you as a, as a passionate fan of U.S. soccer, as, as a former great who wore that shirt. So not what do you think about it, but what are you feeling about it so the day after elimination? Yeah, because there's, there's two different, you know, processes there, right? So what I think and what I feel about it. You know, what I feel about it is, look, I, I've been around a long time, uh, you know, from back in the 1900s, back in the previous century, uh, running around, and I've seen the growth of this sport. And so I, I feel proud, um, but I also feel that stuff was left on the table. And I also feel, for lack of a better word, 
it always gets me worried that you, you know, as well as I do, that people come into this soccer tent every four years and it's wonderful because we get a, a chance to spread the gospel. But, you know, then they leave and the impression that they get is really, really important because it leads to credibility um, and it ultimately leads to more popularization of the sport. And I hope that they saw a team that when we know we all gravitated to it, but I hope that they saw a team like me that they can be be proud of. But we also know we're in the American culture and it's about winning. And while most of the things when it comes to America, we are number one at and we are winners at you know, unlike our women's national team, our men's national team has not been there. And so I worry that people either leave the tent or go away from the tent for a little bit thinking that we haven't made progress. But we, we have made progress. And I think that this ultimately, maybe with time, will be looked at as a step forward. And it's not about moral victories. I, I, I don't want that anymore. But this was a very young team. This is a team also with an eye to 2026. So that's that's partly in my head. You know, and that's how I how I feel about it. You know, how I think about it, you know, I'd give Greg Berhalter and this team a B, solid B, B plus in terms of what they did going undefeated in group stage. And, you know, a very difficult group playing really well against England. They just picked the worst possible moment to have a stinker of a game against Holland. And still, it was there. There was a gift. And we didn't bite the hand uh, and take it right out of that that Dutch hand. And, you know, the Dutch are a good team. And they all they needed is a couple of chances. The ruthlessness that you saw of the Dutch is something that this team hopefully will develop over the next four years. Yeah, that's all well put. What's tough, among other things, for U.S. sports fans of grasp about soccer is this sort of like not knowing how to react about it. Is round of 16 good enough? Well, I mean, I think the players felt like there was more. You felt like there was more. You know, perhaps, and this is, this is the story of the World Cup for so many nations, the what-ifs. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. Had you beaten Wales, had you won the group, you don't play Holland in the round 16. Right. You, you have an easier match. I think it would have been Senegal, right? So, but, but they didn't take those chances. They didn't win the group, and they made it hard. And it seems like U.S. soccer only knows one way, and it's the hard way, right? And <laughs> it's been that way since you were a player. Yeah, it's, you know, it's this weird purgatory type of place that we, we inhabit right now because yeah, we got out of the group. Well, first off, qualifying for a men's World Cup is nothing new. We have done that. That's why it was such a, you know, a, a massive failure four years ago. But it was kind of an anomaly. And so you get back to the World Cup. And, you know, we, we are happy to get back to the World Cup. But it's something that we've done. Getting out of the group is also something that we have done consistently. Um, but getting out of that round of 16, we've only done that once back in, in 2002, where, we, we, where then we went on, which was, which was wonderful. And so you're in this moment where... You look back at history and say, well, we had done better in previous World Cups, and yet are we more advanced? I mean, just within this cycle, I think that it's night and day when it comes to how far this group has come from that incredible failure of not qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. And it certainly bodes well for the future. But I think where you know a little bit of hesitation is from, from me and others is to, I mean, it's not an A type of effort because you didn't find a way to win that game. And that was a winnable game against the, the, the Dutch. And, you know, they finished their chances. The United States didn't finish their chances. And doing things that we have done as a soccer-playing nation for a while, and they're not, you know, I said it on air, these aren't these evolved type of uh, soccer tactics that take decades and decades to figure out. You follow your men in the box. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you so watch soccer or not. That's a problem. Marking men in sports, marking your opponent in sports, that's, you know, that's a constant anywhere. So that was a little bit disappointing. And not that we lost, but kind of how we lost. Exactly. As a defender, 
and, and as an analyst, when you, when you have three goals conceded and each time the defenders are looking around at each other like, what, what happened? Right. Where were you? I mean, that, that does not look good. And I think that you're right. We, we, it was a bad time to fall asleep against an opponent, unlike some of those in the group stage who can really hurt you. And, and they made us pay. And we made Holland look better than they are, perhaps. Who knows? Maybe they'll go on and make a run. I know you've fancied them a little bit as a, as a contending team. But that's the one thing is that at the end of the day, um, you know you're not going to get many chances. You have to grab them. We didn't right. early. But but when you <laughs> look at the result of a goal and the team is looking around at each other like, wait a minute, we broke down. That That's what was a little deflating to see. Yeah. And it's, and it's you know, it's wide open men in the box and clear cut chances. And and again, you know, there there are coaches out there, youth coaches, anybody that's coached long enough, you, you, you talk about being able to watch your, your being able to see the ball and being able to see the man. These are fundamental, basic type of principles of soccer. And so I think that's, you know, that's where, where it's disappointing. Having said all of that, you know, the, it was, you know, we've, we've seen this before in World Cups where, you know, people come together. And as you know, especially in this day and age, very little brings us together as a nation. And to see these, you know, people in their classrooms, because this was a World Cup where it was actually happening during school, which is something that was unique. So to see the classrooms and the, and the cool teachers and the cool schools that kind of embraced it and used it even as lesson plans and all that kind of stuff. And everybody's screaming and yelling, people in airplanes and obviously the bars and the fan fests and all that. That was pretty cool to, to see that happen. And sometimes you're in kind of this, this bubble of a World Cup. And now with this technology age that we live in, we can see what's happening back home. And, um, you know, I, I don't have FOMO to, you know, because I get to do the best job in the world here. But it was kind of cool to see all of these people celebrating this game back in a country and culture that, you know, we're, we're constantly pushing that boulder up the hill. And, it, you know, it made my old soccer heart very, very happy to see that happening. Absolutely. I, I agree. And I can tell you from this side of the uh, Atlantic, the energy was there. And, and let's remember, too, it, it's not easy to progress in a World Cup. We have one reaction, but, but for Germany, for Belgium, from Mexico, it, it's an unqualified disaster to be stopped in group stage. I, I, I talk about it in college football. You know, if, if people want a, a comparison, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, not winning their division, not winning their conference, not contending. And, and that is different because it happens every four years and Germany have struggled. Right. So we did something those soccer powers and much more talented teams didn't do. So, Yeah, 16 teams went home. And, and you know, look, we've. I've watched Olympics. I've worked Olympics. You, you know, you've, you've, you've seen it and worked it. And, you know, sometimes when you see these sports, like where it comes down to, you know, 10 seconds is the entire, you know, synopsis and, uh, and career. And you're judged on that. You, it blows your mind sometimes to see that. Obviously soccer is a little longer in terms of a game, but it, but it still does come down to minutes. And is it right? Is it fair to judge athletes just on those moments? It doesn't matter. You know, Soccer isn't fair and life isn't fair. This is the way, the way that it is. And ultimately, Greg Berhalter, as the coach, knows this. And these players know that this can be defining. And that we left a little bit on the table just means that we have you know, still, still some ways to go. But you know, as the saying goes, you've come a long way, baby. And soccer certainly has. And this isn't me being Pollyanna. This isn't me asking for blind faith out there when it comes to our soccer teams or just our soccer in general. It's just maybe some perspective that, that I've gotten over the years and seeing how, you know, how the game is played, how the game is coached. I mean, hell, even how it's, how it's broadcast and how that uh, has evolved, you know, and, and we're over here in this incredible set for Fox over, over here. And 
And we've seen over the years how it's been broadcast and bringing it to, you know, a country and culture that's really, really unique because it's not just about the U.S. team. It's about all of these different teams and our melting pot that is the United States, uh, United States and all this incredible diversity that we have, you know, giving people their teams. And it's not always the, the U.S. team, but ultimately giving them a steady diet of soccer. And, you know, as you mentioned, I still got another two weeks here and and we've been through this where. The home team goes out and right. And there's this deflating of the balloon, right? But you got to pick it up. And as pros, we're right back in here today. And hell, you know, we got, we got France and Mbappe here that I get to call. So I'm incredibly fortunate, privileged to be able to do this. Messi's still in the tournament. Ronaldo's still in the tournament. It just goes on and on and on. And if you really, if you got excited about the U.S. team playing soccer in the World Cup, there's plenty more. You will fall in love with this game, and there's plenty more as this World Cup goes on. And, you know, 2026 is coming, too, and that's going to be a fun uh, that's going to be a fun adventure both on and off the field for what it means for soccer in the United States and to, to, to a certain extent in Canada and Mexico. We'll circle back. I want to finish with that as we look ahead to the next World Cup. But let's spin back. You and I sat next to each other in Pretoria, South Africa, for a situation somewhat similar to the U.S.-Iran game. They had to be at Algeria to go through. To not go through would have been a disaster. Algeria, a very beatable opponent, but it wasn't happening. And they had had chances. U.S. had had chances. And we are sitting there in this not a very glamorous stadium, kind of an old stadium, not one of the showplace <laughs> venues in South Africa. And we are preparing for a postmortem, right? It's the last game on the group stage. If they don't get the win, they go home. It's going to be crushing. I can feel the emotion from you next to me. Um, I didn't play, but obviously I'm emotionally invested. And all of a sudden, that that goal that Landon Donovan scores, he had Andres Cantor as a guest in the podcast. He talked about calling it in Spanish. I've talked to, you know, obviously, lots of folks who experienced that. And you said 10 seconds, and that was it. 10 seconds changed the World Cup, changed the life of Donovan and so many other players. But, but that emotional ride, we, we, were, we were deflated, depressed, and then there were literally tears of joy, I think, from you after Donovan scored and we won the group. It was nuts. It was nuts. And, and you know, listen, I, I had so much fun, you know, working with you and others, and I learned so much for, from you. And obviously, I've, I've continued on and, and, you know, being with Fox and working World Cups, men's and women's and stuff like that. But, you know, TV is is something that I have been so fortunate to come into and to learn from the likes of you and, and, and other greats, whether it was ESPN and at Fox and continue on and to see you guys work and to understand what goes on and how the sausage is made. Um, it, 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 it was incredibly changing in terms of the way that I did did my job. And then, you know, to be talking about a game that I love at at a World Cup in these incredible moments and to experience that emotion now, not as a player, but talking about it and, you know, hopefully being able to in a, you know, a, to be able to articulate and to be able to tell the story in, in, you know, hopefully an interesting and entertaining type of way. Um, you know, talk about coming a long way. I've come a long, a long way since then, but a lot of the foundation that I still use today was stuff that I learned with you uh, and others uh, and others there. It, it literally changed the way that I that I do my job because I understood how it was done. But you never you never lose that love and that you know the the beauty that comes from the game, the passion that you have, the emotion that comes out, and and it's under it's un, you can't control it. And oh, I don't do try I, I don't to control you, you it. You shouldn't anymore. apologize for one second about having the raw emotion. Fans look to you for that. That's a moment where they can say. Alexi Lalas, I remember him playing 
but he's one of us too because you're allowed to care in a World Cup. And that kind of a moment, Alexi, where we weren't calling it, we were just watching it and then getting ready to react to it. But that kind of a thing where, where you know, careers change on a dime because yeah. of one ball put in the net just in the nick of time. And I thought that was a beautiful moment. I, I've talked about that where, you know, hey, it's okay to get choked up. Yeah, we have to have some distance. And you've become this wise sage, you know, with delivering perspective that only comes over time. I think that's that's sort of your, your role in a, in a knee-jerk, no-context, reaction, short attention span world. That's what you're there to sort of counter, I think, in your role. But in that moment in 2010, shit, I mean, that we were prepared to do a, a post-mortem, and it was a celebration. That was fun. And don't don't ever lose the, the rawness and, and the heart you bring to it, man. I appreciate. I can't. I mean, even if I tried, I couldn't. I, I I couldn't do it. And and sometimes, you know, when when all the crap is flying around, and you know, you're you're you're, you're incredible at being able to still get the job done with all the craziness. Sometimes that live sports bring, and that's why. I know you love live sports. I love live sports. And there's, there's nothing like it. And it is becoming actually more and more unique and valuable as we go on in this, in this world that seems to be packaged and, and already kind of predestined. You know, live sports are where it's at because you don't know what is going to happen. And you need people like yourself to, to be able to steer the ship and make sure that people stay on course, but also like you said, to recognize the emotion, recognize the moment and what the moment needs and to, to paint a picture. And, you know, ultimately, you know, you're you're an artist in your own right in the way that you do things. And I like to think we're all kind of painting this picture. Sometimes it's a better picture than other pictures. And sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't. But, you know, we are living it and the people are watching us living it. And we are, for the time being, they're still using human beings. And as long as they do, you know, we're going to have emotion and passion involved in what we do. Yeah, I mean, technology calls off size, but hopefully humans will always describe the action on the field. Yeah, <laughs> you're very kind. I mean, I learned so much from you and from this collection of global rock stars that we assembled uh, in South Africa and other World Cups. But I think that's where we kind of first brought ESPN resources to bear. And then you had Ruud Hullett and you had Steve McManaman, and you had Jurgen Klinsmann, and you had Roberto Martinez, a lot of soccer brain power, but all these nations represented, all these dudes who are you know, multi-millionaires who had global brands because of their success on the field. You're representing America to an American audience, but, but in the global game, what was that like, you know, sitting there with, with that collection of personalities who, by the way, did their job all day and night and then went out and enjoyed South Africa as only they could. I mean, for me, that was like a life-changing moment. Incredibly proud to be the host of that coverage. I, I will always put that very, very near the top of the resume. But what was that like for you to sit in that desk with that cast of characters and then go off, go off into the night with them too? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so much fun because obviously you see these players uh, and they are ex-players and what they have done on the field and you associate moments in your life. Sometimes you might have played against them or idolized them growing up and watched them. And then you you get to know them as people and obviously as colleagues uh, working. And there is a great equalization process, process that happens because while you might have the cachet of what you have done on the field, ultimately now you're in the TV world and you've got to bring it again. And to see how some do and some don't and some like it, some don't, some don't, I mean, Look, I am so fortunate to be able to do what I do. I, I get, you know, players sometimes ask me about it all the time. And I say, listen, if you can find a jumping off point, um, great. Because your career might not end when you want it. 
But I'm so fortunate because I found something that excites me as much and even in certain ways, even more jacks me up than playing uh, in terms of television. It's not for everybody. Some people, you know, it's easy from the couch. We all we all know that. But when you when you find something like that, you hold on to it and, you know, they can pry it from my cold, dead hands. And listen, they're coming. All the youngins are coming right now. But to be able to work with all of these legends and to understand how they think about the game and to get their insight, especially when they're good on television, because it's one thing to be good in the bar. It's another thing actually to be good on television. That's awesome. That's awesome. And now we have more and more, especially of these American legends. You know, here at Fox, I'm working with Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey and Marisa Du and these types of players that have been there and done. You know, we were just talking about the Landon Donovan moment that is iconic. And now I'm sitting next to him and he's talking about what he sees on the field. And so it's it's wonderful that, you know, I'm kind of the the old guy, the old (laughs) I don't know if I'm a sage or anything, but I'm the old guy. Uh, but to see it happen. And then the international aspect of the game that I know you love and, and I love. Because, you know, it's there are very few sports out there that have this international aspect of it. Tennis maybe uh, to a certain extent. Um, but it means that you have all of these different cult, you know, countries and cultures coming together. And sometimes that is reflected in the broadcast that you do. Um, and it's cool. It's cool to see how they think about the game. It's also a wonderful moment when they uh, experience American television for the first time. <laughs> and the reality is, as you know, and you, you, you see the wheels uh, starting to spin as they figure out, wow, I'm not in Kansas anymore. And this is maybe a very, very different type of broadcast uh, daily schedule and performance than I'm used to. Yeah, and, and broadcast executive behavior. Some of the guys I don't think were used to the intensity <laughs> of some of the cast of characters we had, to, to say I the least. I love it, I love it, I love it. You know, you mentioned the global nature. I hope fans listening and fans who watch on their couch in this country do get a chance to go abroad and experience, whether it's a U.S. game or a World Cup or a Champions League final or, or a Premier League game or something where you see cultures coming together and this shared language of soccer it's been said it's somewhat trite in the minds of some people but it's so real and I get chills thinking about the moments around the world where where you're in a bar in the northern part of Chile you know watching them play Argentina there's so many examples of that and it's such a beautiful you know menu of experiences to have if people open themselves up and I'm, I'm glad you talked about the global nature of it because that that is so rich and it's so unique yes there's tennis but that's not the same as an individual sport versus watching your country right. out there running around I mean look I, I always tell the story of when I was a kid I used to go out and I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit I grew up with you know slurpees and MTV and you know <laughs> going to see rat play down at the Cobo Hall or, or Joe Louis Arena or whatever and you know, I would go out when I was a kid and I would juggle my ball on my sidewalk in front of my house here in suburban Detroit. And it always, you know, wasn't lost on me, even at a young age, that there is a kid on the other side of the world that I have absolutely nothing in common with except this game. And that always fascinated me because, look, I, I grew up playing all the different sports. I was huge. I actually played more hockey growing up than soccer and saw law in Detroit, obviously, and, and, and in Michigan. But the fact that this was an international game that really, really appealed to me. Look, I, I, I am incredibly uh, you know, privileged and happy and fortunate to come from what I feel is the greatest country in the world, the United States. But I also recognize that you know, we are citizens of the world and that world plays soccer. And that connection that this game brings, I think it's, it's wonderful from an international perspective, but it's also domestically, you know, when people gravitate towards this team and towards this tournament and towards this sport, 
a lot of times it's that there's this feeling that we are connected and we are something bigger than just the United States. And not all our sports are able to do that. And maybe this is the unique sport that is able to uh, able to do that. And it doesn't mean you have any less uh, pride or affinity for the country you're from. As a matter of fact, you can celebrate that country within the context of this game that the rest of the world is also celebrating. I hope people listening will understand that that before they were watching you on TV, you were running around playing, and it was more than just the, the red hair and the beard. I mean, I want to ask you what it felt like, <laughs> Alexi, to wear the U.S. shirt. You, you're talking about the background you came from, your, your love of soccer at a young age, but to get to the pinnacle of soccer in the U.S. and to wear that shirt and, and to score a goal against Argentina in a win in Copa America, to score a goal against England in a victory at International, and then to put on those crazy stonewashed blue denim-looking stars and stripes kits in 1994, <laughs> <laughs> controversial to yeah. this day, uh, loved by some, yep. reviled by many. Uh, but to put that shirt on hey, and— You want to say hi to Chris Fowler? Who do we got Hold here? on. Rob Stone. Oh, my Rob goodness. Stone. Rob Stone is, is, <laughs> is uh, crashing the— <laughs> Hey, Stoner. Now, I wish people can't, can't, can't see this who are listening, but Rob Stone has jumped into the frame. Put this one in. Put this one in. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're clean. They're clean. What's going on, man? You're, you're sharing earbuds over in Qatar. That is, that is team love. This is what we, this is what we do. This is what we do. He, he just asked me about the denim kit back in the 1900s. Oh, yeah, it was in, it was incredible. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I was running around with a whole lot more hair back then. It was it was wonderful. But we've come a long, long, long way. Working? Are we doing something? This is a podcast. We're doing a podcast. Yeah. Thank no, you. A, it's a podcast here, Rob. I've never heard of this. A pod? A pod what? <laughs> yes. They, it, it doesn't even, there's not real, real tape the way uh -huh. you used to do back right? when you were at ESPN, you know, running tapes all over yeah, the place. Yeah, no, yeah. It doesn't even involve. It's a, it's a fledgling thing. Just a few of us have these it's, podcasts. It's just starting out. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for jumping. And, and people tops? <laughs> 10 or 11 people, you know. I mean, and they just, they just. Communicate back and forth. Yeah, they, they, and they, people want this. They download. It's called downloading. Download. Yes. Like, like, like automatically Napster, like Napster downloading. Kind of like Napster. <laughs> then it automatically appears on their phone, the mobile phones, not the, the rotary phones that we're talking about, the actual <laughs> mobile <laughs> phones. <laughs> yes. Are you guys, are you guys punchy this, already? You, I, I, I sense some punchiness from working together, whatever you're already in, day 16. <laughs> I just want to know how come I wasn't invited to this podcast thing in the jury. Why you got to go with the big timer over you, here? You didn't, you didn't return mean, my text. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, right, right. Chris Fowler and I go way, way. Well, give a story before way. we go and have to do I, I'm going to give you give one story Fowler about story. him. This, this guy's family okay. raised golden retrievers, and I got a beautiful golden retriever puppy that I gave to my mom because um, we had two previous goldens who were not doing well. And, and so this really? dog, this dog we named Higgins, um, gotten from the Stone family, uh, bravely put in a little cage and flew in a plane from Connecticut to Colorado gave my mom years of joy, was there her companion. She began to struggle with Alzheimer's, and but helped the quality of her life. So thank you to Rob and the Stone family for the gift of a golden retriever. You didn't yeah, expect wow, that, did amazing. you, Alexi? Yeah. Chris Ballard was in our kitchen, picking up this beautiful, beautiful golden retriever puppy. Take that. So has, has, has Lexi chimed in on primetime heading the border yet? Uh, we haven't, talk, we haven't right talked now. about that piece of college football news, and I'm not sure we will, but uh, I, 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 went on, I went on my... The, the horny frogs. Are the horny frogs no, doing anything? It's you. This, this thing. The horny, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like I'm talking to a guy who played at Newcastle, 
and has no idea what universities are. And he went to Rutgers University for crying out loud. Big Ten. The Rutgers are in the Big Ten they Conference. The they, uh, they, they got us for our education, not our football, evidently. That's, uh, <laughs> Rob, yeah. Rob, I love you. Yeah. But give, give him the earbud. We got, we got to get back to soccer a little bit here. <laughs> What? I'm done. I, I got I to go work here. So He's been telling go. me, your time go. is precious, man. Keep it doing. You're, you're an awesome job. I'm, I'm, yeah, if I'm allowed to say I'm proud of you, I'm proud of you. We so. do. All right. I got, I got, I got two minutes. I got two minutes, Chris. you, big boy. That's I got. I'm gonna, don't worry. I'm going to walk this thing off. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right. So, so there we, we go. momentarily yeah, hijacked. Right. No, but the, the feeling of wearing the shirt, even though the shirt was yeah. funky, and representing your country. And, and, you know, back in the day, they would have called it building a brand. But you were just doing what right. you did with exuberance and energy. <laughs> and the look didn't hurt either. But, man, to take me back to that, that feeling of repping your country. Yeah, never has so much been done with a modicum of talent and, uh, you know, a lot of hair <laughs> and a, goat, a goatee and a, and a guitar. Um, Look, I, I, to your point, I, I grew up in the 80s and I grew up watching you know, MTV and you know, the, um, the aesthetic was very, very important. And I incorporated that into, I mean, I've always considered myself an entertainer. You know, you, you rehearse, which is basically practice, right? You take it out on stage, which is basically the field. You go in front of an audience, which is basically the crowd. You put on a costume, which is your uniform, and then you perform. And you want that type of interaction. You want to be seen. You want to be noticed, and you want to do whatever act it is that you do to the best of uh, best of your ability. But you add the the other part of it, which is you know the opportunity to represent your country, and it is it is not lost on me, um, you know how few of us get that opportunity and the incredible privilege. And there is nothing like putting on that jersey, walking out on that field, putting your hand over your heart, and singing that national anthem. And hearing the reaction from the people and you know, the score at, at a certain point doesn't matter um, to a certain extent because you are representing everything that we hold dear as a country on the international stage. And I'll never forget that. I, I never took it for granted that, uh, as many times that, uh, that I did it. If I could continue to do it, I, I would. And it still gets me each and every time when I see you know, these young men and these young women uh, go out there and represent our country and within that then to your point i think we talked about it earlier the potential for their lives to change i'm sitting here in doha qatar talking to chris fowler here on on zoom because of the 1994 uh, world cup it changed my life forever i lived the power of what a world cup can do to an individual my life was never the same and i love that i'm you know talking about world cups now and that there are players that in this world cup there will be players in the 2026 world cup in the u.s where their life is going to change it's a it's a wonderful and amazing thing and very few of us get that opportunity you talked about sports competition as performance in just the same way that another dear friend and colleague john McEnroe talks about it he always felt like being on the court was like performing and like you he's a musician mm -hmm. he his passion yeah. i think for music is almost as strong as it is for tennis and, and he views it the same way and and it, it makes me wonder, though, you, you're perhaps being too modest, although some of your fame and notoriety came from the look, these long, flowing red locks and the beard. There was the, the quality of your play, the, the intensity that you brought, the physicality that you brought to it. You're not he sitting here telling me that if you'd had a, a red crew cut and no beard that you wouldn't have been uh, one of the stories of the 94 World Cup and your life wouldn't have changed, would you? No, I mean, I, I like to think that I had a little... Uh, skill and ability when, and talent when it comes to the actual playing of the game. But, you know, the, 
the package is important. And just because you recognize it, you know, when I when I say that I'm a, an entertainer, sometimes, you know, that's not a pejorative. That is an actual understanding of you know, the theater that this that sports is and can be. And I know sometimes people cringe at that, but I leaned into it. I recognized it. And in no way did that mean that anything that I did or the things that I wore, the way that I looked was, was not authentic or credible or honest. I was incredibly comfortable in this costume and in this persona and in this brand that I was creating. And it, uh, you know, it worked for me. Yeah, I think that some people do get offended when they view it as 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 theater or entertainment, and that's it's nonsense. I mean, you, you, the more you're around it, the more you understand. That, yes, it does. You should not get in the way of being a team guy, of competing, sure. of trying to be ahead in the scoreboard. But it it never did for you, and I think you recognize before a lot of people that, hey, you know, whether it's just you know being yourself or being yourself times X or you know building a brand whatever it is it, it worked for you beautifully and it, and it continues to so no don't ever apologize for that um your time is all precious. right i gotta wrap people, it up i gotta go to work my man people last thing i know your time is valuable yep. um it's our shortest episode ever but i i'm very very grateful you're making time spin ahead we, we talked briefly about the world cup which the u.s will co-host with canada and mexico not just yep. for the u.s team but what it's going to be like to have the world cup back on, on u.s soil in a very different climate than the last time that we hosted it, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a wonderful ramp uh, way up to this incredible platform uh, to help change the sport and again, move it forward. Uh, and it is a very, very different scene than it was back in 1994 or 1999 when the Women's uh, World Cup, two very seminal moments in terms of the perception of the sport. And so the world is coming back to a US and like we said, a Canada and Mexico that has fundamentally changed. The United States is a soccer nation okay we don't have to apologize um you know we we can shed our insecurities and our inferiority complexes when it comes to uh, what we are and you know we have a, a supporters culture we have a knowledge uh, you know i think the american soccer fan is as knowledgeable and maybe more knowledgeable than others just out of necessity and it's all coming back to the united states and keep in mind the 94 world cup was the most successful world cup ever in terms of crowds in terms of the money that it generated and this is going to blow it out of the water in 2026 and it's going to be it's going to be wonderful because look i'll, I'll leave you with this story so back in 1994 two weeks before the world cup i got on a plane and i sat in the middle seat because that's what we did right and i had my u.s polo on and i sat down next to an older woman and she turned to me and said what she said what do you do i said i play soccer she said well What's your job? I said, oh, I play soccer. And she said, what do you do for money? I said, I play soccer. And two weeks later, I'm in front of a billion people at the World Cup. Now, that lady might have seen it a couple of weeks later, but the reality is there's a whole generation that has grown up with soccer as part of their sports palette. And that's wonderful. And that's progress. That's evolution. And so this World Cup is coming back in 2026. It's going to be bigger and better than anything that we've seen, but it's coming back to a U.S. that is a soccer nation and has plenty of culture um, and plenty, plenty of emotion and passion for this game. It's unique. It's American. And as I said, never, ever apologize for that. Whether you don't ever apologize for calling it soccer or, or any of the other stuff that uh, we yell and scream about it. It's our own version of soccer, but it's, a, it's the game, obviously, that's played around the world. 
And we're going to invite everybody into that tent once again, and hopefully that tent's just going to get bigger and bigger. And hopefully a U.S. team that will not be the youngest of the World Cup in four years. These players can learn and grow from the experience playing abroad and, and, and certainly build on that enthusiasm. And in that World Cup, Alexi, I think you join me. Round of 16 won't be good enough. Not in four years, no. not with more development. I think there are going to be higher expectations and hopefully a higher level of performance from the home team when that happens. We should expect more from our home team. We should expect more from these young players that have been given every opportunity and resources and pathway. And with that comes higher expectations. And I think that they can live up to it. This is a team that believes that they are destined for greater things. And that's good. I mean, whether that's sports or anything, you want more for your, I guess, children, I can call them. But they are, really. You know, I mean, we took it as far as we could. And this is a new generation that believes that they can do great things and much better things than we ever did. And that's progress. And that's all that I ever wanted. All right, get back to work. Keep up the great job. I'll be watching. I'm very grateful for your time, for, for squeezing us in from Qatar and sharing some old stories and, and bringing back some very nice memories for me. Appreciate it, Alexi. You're the best, my friend. Thank you so much. And just like that, away Alexi went. We stopped the recording. I turned on the TV a few minutes later, and there he was on the set with the team talking about France versus Poland. So I'm very grateful for his time. This episode obviously was a sprint, but his schedule is so busy. Covering a World Cup is just about unlike anything else in TV sports. You're in the same hotel room for about 40 days, and he has got a ways to go. December 18th is the World Cup final. Next time, we've got the Season 5 finale episode. I'm so excited about this. It's a year in the making. James Clear, author of the global bestseller Atomic Habits, and he is such a smart guy. James is really in the forefront of self-improvement, developing good habits, kicking bad habits, becoming more productive, doing more with less time, and a lot more. So whether or not you've read Atomic Habits, and I recommend that you do, you'll get a lot out of this episode. Our season five finale is coming up. As always, deeply grateful for my co-executive producer, Jennifer Dempster, and for Octagon for editing the episode. We'll talk to you soon for the season finale 